Welcome to Fashion at Central St. Martins, a podcast series bringing you stories from the fashion programme of our world-renowned college, which is part of University of the Arts London. Among the voices on this podcast are alumni such as milliner Stephen Jones, designer Mary Catran Sue, photographer Campbell Addy, and editor Joanna Liu, a varied range of acclaimed fashion creatives whose talent was nurtured by the college. Designers, educators, Writers and photographers share their memories and insights, reflecting on how Central St. Martins has provided them with the skills and the courage to interrogate, challenge, and reshape the world of fashion as we know it today. Episode six, what's next? In this episode, we speak to Daniel W. Fletcher, Esme Young, Joanna Liu, Fabio Piraz, Matty Boven, Mary Katrenzu, Stephen Jones, Campbell Addy, and Olubi Thomas. Our guests talk about what's next for their careers, the future of the fashion landscape, and how the creatives are using their work as a response to the ever-changing attitudes in the industry today. British fashion designer Daniel W. Fletcher graduated from Central St. Martins in 2015. He runs his label from his hometown of Margate, as well as being the menswear artistic director for Fiorucci, he talks about how new ventures have expanded the brand's audience. For me, I think the last year was, I know 2020 was like a really like shit show for most people. Um, for me, it was quite good, actually, like, because obviously I did the Netflix show, um, which came out last February. And that had a really huge impact on the brand just from like a, a visibility perspective. Like I went from just having followers or people who knew the brand from London Fashion Week and that's very much like a fashion crowd to having people who knew about it because they'd watched a Netflix show and that is a very different consumer and different customer and one side you've got these like fashionistas who've been buying the brand for five years and they want to buy like runway looks and then on the other hand you've got like teenage girls in America who want to buy a hoodie because it's got my name on it it's a very weird thing for me actually um and like people stopping me in the street to want to want to have a photograph like that's something that I never imagined but also like you know take it as it comes and if you want to buy a hoodie at the same time that is great because that helps me to continue doing these uh these fashion collections um but also along with that has come like some really great opportunities to work with some like major like some really major institutions like actually i'm doing a collaboration with coca-cola which is something like it's like crazy like i've grown up watching the coca-cola advert on tv at christmas and like sneaking off to the vending machine at school to buy a can of coke um when i was a teenager so to now be able to like do something with a mega brand like that is is quite cool come september is when we're going to release our spring summer 21 22 collection um which is going to be the first time that we're showing like a men's women's collection combined so Whilst I always talk about the brand being kind of like genderless, which is something I truly believe, like, you know, clothes are clothes, a jacket's a jacket, shirt's a shirt, whatever, anyone can wear it, whether you are man, woman, alien, tree, whatever, you, you know, it's for everyone. Um, but we've done kind of lookbooks where we've just shown men, lookbooks where we've just shown women, but now we're going to do like one, like, co-ed, genderless collection which will like come out all together and you'll see it as like one big thing from teaching at central st martin's to judging on the great british sewing bee esme young discusses the importance of the relationship between a designer and their team 
and how new technology in fashion is changing the way fashion students work for good. I'd say something about um, technology is in terms of clothes. One thing I find absolutely fascinating is how people make clothes and they make them differently. When we went and looked at the Charles James, there were no facings. They, he folded the edge over and then put a little gusset in. And you get a much nicer edge. But when I think things went mass production, you had to have a facing. Also in the fifth, earlier on, you'd have huge um, seam allowances so you could alter things. Um, then you've got laser cutting, which lots of high-end designers have used. So I, I think it's all quite fascinating. But for me, 3D is working on the stand and understanding. You know, it's very hard to, I think, for the students to learn from 2D to 3D. And to cut a flat pattern is without putting it on a standard things, is really difficult to imagine it in 3D. I mean, I've been working with Ashish, as I said, for 20 years, and I've I've made a block for him, which has evolved over the years. We quite often start from that shape. Um, and I think that's what would have happened with a lot of designers. And it's very important, the relationship between the designer and the cutter but I think to learn that you you have to work on the stand. Editorial Director of Harper's Bazaar China, Yuan Liu, is passionate about promoting authenticity and relatable content to her audience. She explains how publications need to find the language that speaks to their readers and how to prioritise creativity over profitability. You know what I hate the most about fashion magazines is that there's there are always a, a certain column that's taking beautiful pictures of wealthy women and their home. And they're not really giving you any suggestions like how to live a better life or how to decorate your home. They're just showing off like how wealthy I am, showing off their 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 background, their family, their husbands, their children. And that's very I think that's very um self-conscious, you know. Especially I think especially when um when the COVID broke out, fashion has become less important to many people. It's really not the only thing that people care about. Um, especially today when the world is spread in front of you on the internet, there's so many things far more attractive than just fashion. So as a fashion publication, I think we really need to speak to our readers by understanding the way they live and the things they care not just their consuming life, but also their spiritual needs and, and their interests out of fashion. Um, fashion is no, no longer worshipped today like they used to be in the sex and city age, you know. Um, and if you want to speak to your readers, if you want to speak to new readers, you have to find their language. You have to find what they care and 
to to reach them with the language that they like to use. First, I expect a real fashion week to come back um, because now you see all the brands are showing their new collections online, but but that really can't um, be compared with you know sitting in the in the in a fashion show next to a runway seeing all the beautiful models walking in front of you the atmosphere was completely different and i started to miss fashion week quite a lot and also i expect to see some really crazy things um i i want to see designers with personalities and creating new styles i mean the fashion world is so boring now um, everything has to sell or it will be abandoned people are, are are becoming very practical so we see brands are getting similar to each other especially those commercial brands so i really want to see some crazy stuff Central St. Martin's MA Fashion Course Director, Fabio Piraz, talks about the responsibilities that come with being a fashion designer today. Well, what's next in fashion? It's, 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 what, uh, it's, it's, a, it's designers that address um, issues in a, more, um, in a more honest, reflective, and also responsible way. And I know it sounds very box-ticking, but it isn't. It isn't anymore. So, you know, I mean, I, I think that as much as it might be uh, heavy to, uh, to address all those issues and it might be really uh, sometimes even stressful. Uh, I think it's very important as a citizen, a designer is a citizen, to actually really understand the world you're in and to, to respect it because if you don't respect it, then there is no future. And, and I think that affects the work of designers. And uh, so it's not about you know, well-being, treating well your staff, whatever, that's a, a taken, that's the way it should be. But it's also about the consequences of what you do, of your choices. But I think also this return to small, I really like the idea of that, the idea that not necessarily you need to be an industrial entity, that not necessarily success is this mega pop star system, even if that I think it would take us a while to actually understand that that's not the way it's going to work anymore. I think that, you know, the, the fact that we can redefine success, achievement. And going back to, the, to what I, I call the atelier, you know, the, the craft. Not necessarily you need to, to, uh, to sell hundreds of, uh, of dresses. You can sell 10, but they need to be the right 10. They need to have the value that justifies the fact that you can survive with 10 and not with with a hundred or with a thousand. So because I think that the, the, uh, what is defined to be the, the, the customer base or the audience is actually really varied and the higher you go, the more informed it is. And therefore it wants to buy something of meaning, of value, of artistic value, something that doesn't die within you know, the time you wear it. And if, and if that's the way they treat it, that's their problem, but it shouldn't be yours. Fashion designer Matty Boven discusses the stigma surrounding technology and AI in fashion. 
No, I'm actually passionate about both levels. So I'm, I'm a big fan of obviously handcraft and all that. That's very me. <laughs> That's also what I love exploring and looking into. But I also work hand in hand with computer aided technology, you know, so I've always worked with, we work with computerized knitting machines, you know, I work with, I'm not against technology at all. It's just that I like, I think you can install hand in technology, you know, so for instance, if we're doing uh, knits with a, with a small factory we work with, I can scan in my paintings, my drawings, and I can manipulate them and still make them look like they've been done by hand, even if they have been aided with a computer. I think it just depends if people don't put, you know, I think it's soulless if people don't put any soul in it, you know, so I think there's definitely ways of doing it. I'm trying to think, we've worked with the digital embroidery in the past, that's always worked really well. Again, it's just a key of, I want it to look as textured and painterly as it can. So I think it's definitely possible, but I think people tend to view it in quite a, kind of like, um, you know, it's quite a harsh light. So they'll kind of see technology as like evil and handcraft as, you know, good or vice versa. But I think there's a complete meet in the middle moment, to be honest. I think it's, I think, it, I think there's ways of doing both and meeting them in the middle and also getting what the most important things out of it, you know. So it's all about kind of learning and growth and understanding how you can work with new technology to still make it feel like it's been done by humans and not algorithms or AI. Well, I really was inspired by seeing the students last week at the St. Martin's BA show. I want to see kind of people's vision for the world, you know, so or I, I want to see like these characters. I want to see people really embracing, pushing what we know of as fashion. I think really I want to see, you know, intrigue. I want to see story. I want to see, uh, you know, technology. I want to see cinematic sort of references. I don't know. I just want to see people's own personalities, but like, you know, in a really clear way. Continuing the conversation of the future of technology in fashion, women's wear designer America Tranzu talks about preserving the human hand in craft. I think, you know, it's a technology that, uh, it's, a, it's a relationship, not a technology, it's a relationship uh, that is guided by us humans. And I think that's uh, the most important part. You know, technology is incredible if you know how to utilize it and you don't allow it to take over and you, you're not creating products that are soulless. You know, it's always been important to me. Even when I started, I think my work was so digital because I was cre discovering a new world. Um, I think when we felt we conquered that and we really understood it and could control it to our benefit, that's when we were free to use it um, and use that technology to really be as imaginative as we want to be. And I think that's the key. If technology can unlock your imagination, can unlock your creativity, can allow you to do things you would never be able to explore without it, that's when it's kind of our friend. It's not our friend when it takes over and we lose uh, the craftsmanship, we lose the human hand, we lose uh, the, the soul of fashion um, and the soul of creativity. So I see it as a tool. I think it's wonderful that we constantly have advances and it's up to us to push those boundaries and take that forward. Uh, but it's also very important to keep that balance on the right side of the spectrum. When I started, we were doing shift dresses with oversized jewelry that you were never able to wear if you were real because it was all about that hyper reality that you could never print before in the same way because we just didn't have the way. Now, it's not about what we couldn't do and now we can. It's just more um, how do we build that vocabulary and how do we create a more interesting dialogue that is more in sync with our times. 
and our times now, I think, um, are about something different. Um, it's not anymore about, you know, the boom of technology um, as it was, you know, in 2000, 2005, 2010, um, that kind of decade. I find it extremely um, inspiring. Um, I think it's very inspiring to my team for us, you know, to work on different projects and have this diversity. Um, and also because my work allows for that. As I said, when you work with image, when you work with surface design, when you work with pattern, um, I always want to think of it as, uh, you know, a means, uh, a design, not a means actually, uh, a, a design that can be applied on anything, you know, it could be ceramics, it could be um, interiors as in, you know, I don't know, it could be anything, it could be wallpaper, it could be rugs. Um, and also, you know, we're working on a collaboration that again has nothing to do with interiors and has nothing to do with fashion. So uh, we've gone very kind of collaborate, collaboration uh crazy this year because we had the time so when an opportunity came along that was the right opportunity uh, we took it and we can really dedicate the time so that we can all be proud of what we're creating in spite of being at the top of his game since the 1980s stephen jones shows no signs of slowing down um well i'm doing lots it just seems to get busier and busier <laughs> I mean, even over the past 18 months, it seems to have been like crazily busy for me. Um, but of course I've been traveling less. Um, I've still been traveling, but it's been complicated, quarantining and you know, doing all of that. Women's wear designer Dimitra Petter's clothing label, D. Petter, has made waves across the fashionscape with her wet look dresses and original approach to female sexuality. She talks about forming authentic relationships with customers and how every brand has a responsibility to promote a sustainable and inclusive message, no matter how big or small. I think now that COVID is, uh, you know, hopefully getting more and more to an end, I think, you know, again, going back to my experience with my grandma and her experience with the clients, that's something that I really want to explore more. Um, the possibility to really have one-to-one -one consultations to really be there and you know they get to meet me in real life um i think that's always very very important because there's always so much that you can do through the internet and through zoom calls and skype um so yeah i i definitely see us evolving more the and you know for paris fashion week uh, that we're gonna do now in september we're actually gonna do a physical show um, we haven't announced this yet, but I'm just telling you. Um, but yeah, we're going to do a physical performance uh, that's going to be interactive if all goes well and, you know, they don't shut down Paris due to COVID. Um, but yeah, we're, yeah, we're organizing more and more physical things to do now. I think definitely more sustainability because I think that's a pressing issue. Um, I think more inclusivity. Um, and okay, that can be um, that can be done in an honest way, but also in a dishonest way. But at the end of the day, I think the more people we see like that, the better it is for the consumer, for the people who do interact with fashion at large. So I think that's a positive. Um, I would really like to think and see that more and more people are gonna, you know, focus on traditional craftsmanship just because that's something that's very dearly in my heart. 
but I don't know if that's going to be the case. Um, but yeah, I think I, I see a lot of things happening in fashion that are sort of changing, but I think, you know, what do you consider change in fashion? Is it what the big brands are doing or is it more what the starting brands and the young designers are doing in London? So it's kind of like a, a weird thing to define in a way. But um, I, I do think that I see more and more kindness and inclusivity and sustainability in fashion at large. For London-based photographer and filmmaker Campbell Addy, the future of fashion is Africa. With a new film and book set to be released in 2022, Campbell discusses how diversity is crucial for lasting change. I feel like I need to experience more life in order to give more life to those projects. So I've decided to go into more filmmaking. Um, I'm doing a book as well that comes out next year. And I hope after those two ventures, I'll be able to revisit me in a manner that's a bit more mature and a bit more direct. I felt like when I look back at me and knee journal, I feel very immature, which is great because I think sometimes ignorance is bliss and you, you just do, you know, you, you, sh- you know, you shoot your shot and you hope it lands and it did. And I feel like now I've got more skills. So hopefully in the future, after like my film and after my book, I can revisit it in a space of maturity. Um, I think it looks younger and I think it looks, I feel like the least, I hate the word diverse because people use that and think about skin tone, but I think about the literal term diversity, like behind a camera, there needs to be more behind the scenes diversity. And I mean, more trans people, more old people, more young people, more like quote unquote foreign, even obviously I'm foreign to someone, but I just feel like there needs to be more institutions outside of the Western hemisphere. I feel like the future, and like, this, I may be biased, but I feel like the future is Africa. When I think about a continent that hasn't been able to tell its story as much as the rest of the world, I, I believe in Africa because even now when I say Africa in my head, I have an image of, but it's not Africa, it's Ghana, West Africa. That's a tiny, tiny percentage. And I think in the coming years, it's going to be such a hotbed of creativity we've never seen before that will inspire generations. And I think the best thing the fashion industry could do is just not try and control it, but rally behind it and support it so then they too can create their own institutions. Like how we have, you know, like Paris Couture and you've got like American fashion, it's like, it shouldn't be... I feel like sometimes when people think about African work, it's almost with a, oh, we can't produce things there, we can't do these things there. It's like, yeah, we can, and they are. And if you don't get on the bandwagon, you're going to miss a huge, huge moment. But I see the future being... And, you know, Africans are a lot younger. I just feel like... Like, I say that, but I've done my research. When I say they're a lot younger, there's a lot more younger people within the continent of Africa, and I think with the resources you can give them and they can create, it's going to be amazing. Um, but yeah, in a simple sentence, the future is young, the future is Africa, in my mind. 
Designer Olubiyi Thomas closes this episode, describing how he believes that the pandemic revealed people's creativity and artistic power, and how his brand's approach to sustainability is a continuous learning opportunity. I think that with the, with the, with the resurgence of craft and the sort of need for the planet to like live more sustainably, live more sustainably, I, myself included by the way I'm still just learning I'm not mm-hmm. like some guru I'm literally just like picking up bits here and there what I know and then you know literally putting it into practice as I go along year by year day by day it's not like I just woke up and was like sick I'm going to become a sustainable designer it's like oh I'm going to tr- design things in a sustainable fashion and that's going to form an aesthetic and a journey and a path that I'm going to try and just stay on because you know like what else is there <laughs> so from the pandemic just just people were bored people got bored they got restricted and a lot of people from different backgrounds figured out that they could be creative mm. and i feel like that is a sign of what's to come is that people are realizing that they can take power back and ownership in the things that they do the things that they do that have meaning towards themselves and the people around them, the people that they love the people their friends the ideas that they believe in and they're like oh i can actually do something with that i don't have generally have to like work for someone else's belief or for specifically someone else's world i can create my own world literally in my bedroom of sewing machines like apparently like the sales of sewing machines went through the roof and it's like you know like i have i have interns people coming through it's like you know it's it's breaking down even stereotypes and like for myself and for the world like some of my interns are coming through they're like oh i used to play football it's like i'm a football player and then now I want to do fashion it's like oh that sounds really basic but it's not it's like it's it's definitely progress it's like we've seen what's been happening what's going on around those sort of cultures or those sort of cultural ideas and norms and you know now those things have been you know dismantled and it's like people are like oh I can I can pick things up with my hands and like do something so then for sure like there's there's going to be a massive influx of people wanting to do that and wanting to sort of get aboard those sort of ideas so I think it's going to be interesting and I think a lot of people there's I don't know there's like a there's an energy I don't know an unrest of like people wanting to change stuff and also constantly having the government at your throat and you're not allowed to do this or to do that people need somewhere they can go to like break free you know and, and obviously creativity is that's literally what it's made for You've been listening to Fashion at Central St. Martins, a co-production between Central St. Martins and In Talks With Productions. The narrators were Rosie Davenport, Owen Flynn, and Vanessa O'Haha. The editors were Isabel Atkinson, Rosie Davenport, Rose Dodd, Owen Flynn, Bethany Ryder, and Grace Sowerby. The theme tune is by Sam Anga. To find out more about Fashion at Central St. Martins, check out our website and social accounts. Thanks for listening.